Turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 31 through 43. Before I Before I start reading it, I want you to think about the connection between hearing and speaking. Hearing and speaking are closely connected, aren't they? If you never can hear, then it's very difficult to learn to speak, right? If you've ever spoken with somebody who is deaf, they... They have certain, um, certain sounds that they just don't, they, they don't know how to make them right because they've never heard them right, so they can't compare the sound differences between what they're, the sound they're making and the sound of the natural word in English or whatever language it is that they're speaking, right? So hearing and speaking go together very closely in, the, in that physical sense. Um, the only way that people who are deaf are able to learn to speak is that they do learn to hear the words in a certain, in a certain sense, right? If you never had anybody speak to you, then you would never learn to talk at all. And that goes for everybody. And so, the connection between speaking and hearing is a connection that uh, is created by God. If you think of, uh, I think it was one of our recent memory verses, where we're told that if nobody hears, then they won't be able to what? Believe. And that they will never hear unless there is a preacher. Right? So, again, you, you, you won't hear, you won't believe unless there is somebody who is speaking. So it's not just in the natural world that we see this connection between hearing and speaking, but it's also uh, something that God has made clear in the spiritual realm through that verse and in many other places. And so what this means is that if we are selective in what we hear, we will be selective in what we speak. Right? If you never hear Spanish and you only ever hear English, you're never going to speak in Spanish. Spanish doesn't just come out, right? You're going to be selective in speaking English. You may say it's unintentionally selective, but it's selective just the same. One popular way of talking about this is in the negative garbage in, garbage out. Have you guys ever heard that? 
what you feed yourself, if you watch a bunch of crap on TV, that crap will start coming out your mouth. Okay? And Jesus says that it is what comes out of a man that defiles him. And so, if you're selective, if you, if you keep that stuff from going in, then that stuff won't be what comes out either in your speaking. But I want to talk this morning about a different kind of selective hearing. Okay, this, what I want to talk about this morning is the selective hearing of uh, when your mother says, John, can you help me with the dishes? And you just don't hear her? Versus, John, there's a fresh baked pie sitting on the counter just for you, and somehow you just hear it every single time. Right? That kind of selective hearing isn't a positive thing. It's not being selective in the sense of intentionally choosing to only bring good things into your life. It's being selective in a lazy, sinful attitude, right? Only, wanting, only hearing the things that you want to hear. And in our passage today, the people fault Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. They accuse Jesus for what they see as overly negative speech. And the reason that this came about is because they had a habit of ignoring the parts of the Old Testament that they didn't like. They had been selective in their hearing. And so, they rejected what Jesus was saying, and they rejected Jesus. Please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 12, starting in verse 31. We pick up and Jesus is speaking, and he says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, 
He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our scripture lesson this morning was from Matthew chapter 16, and if you turn back there, there's a couple of close connections between our passage, which of course shouldn't surprise us, uh, because the Bible is a single united book of God's word to us, but um, there's two things that that stand out as connections. One is this question of who is the Son of Man. Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is, right? And eventually Peter responds for the disciples saying, we know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. In our passage from John, the people ask Jesus, who is this son of man that you speak of? But the other connection, I want to go back and I want to read verses 21 through 23 from Matthew 16. We see a similar thing take place with the disciples and Peter as took place in our passage in John. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So Peter objects to the same thing that the people in John objected to, which is that the Son of Man would be lifted up that the Christ would suffer many things. The reason I wanted to go back and read that passage from Matthew again is because I want you to see that this, this is something that is common. It's not just something that happened with the Jews here in this limited passage that we're, that we're reading uh, in John. It's also something that happened to the apostles. It's something that happened to Peter. If you go back into the Old Testament, you remember the story of Micaiah, the prophet. Do you guys remember him? 
And who is the king? Jehoshaphat. And uh, there's two kings that get together. Is it Jehoshaphat? Yeah, and I can't remember the other one. And the two kings get together. And they come up, they, they hatch this scheme where they're going to go and attack, they're going to they're unite their armies and they're going to go attack somebody else. And the one king says to the other king, well, let's ask, let's ask what God thinks first. Let's ask a prophet, right? So they call in all of the prophets, but are, they're all false prophets, prophets of Baal and prophets of various other gods, I think, and... They all say, oh, yes, go up, you will win, you're going to be great, everybody's going to, all your enemies are going to die. And the king that first suggested asking God says, but don't we have a prophet of the Lord here that we can ask? And what does the king say? This is all that just to get to this one statement. Yeah, there's one, but I can't stand him because he only prophesies bad things. He only prophesies negative things about me. And so they go and they get him, and what happens? He says, oh yeah, go on, it'll be great. And the king says, how many times do I have to tell you? Just tell me the truth. And so he goes on and gives the actual message from the Lord, and he says, if you go up, you're going to die. And the kings don't listen. They go up and the king dies. Selective hearing, right? Selective hearing led to his death, didn't it? He heard, and yet he decided not to believe the thing that he didn't like hearing, and then he died. Selective hearing is something that we all do. It's a common thing. In our passage, what we see is the selective hearing of the Jews. They had heard the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies about the Messiah. And what did they come away with? What did they come away remembering? What did they come away believing? The parts they liked. And if you think about the Jews and the context at that time, of course, what they had begun to put their hope in was the political deliverance of Jesus Christ, that he would free them from the tyranny of the Romans. And yet, is that really the message? Is that the thrust, the central point of all of those prophecies about the Messiah that are are throughout the Old Testament? Not at all. Is there there, uh, something political about the message of salvation from Jesus Christ? Yes, absolutely. There is definitely something political there, right? But is is that the central point? Is what we are saved from our political enemies? Is that why the Messiah had to be sent? No. We could be saved from our political enemies by God sending a few angels. A few of his many angels would be enough to save us from our political enemies, right? And he's got many. You remember when Elijah was 
under attack from political enemies. He wasn't scared at all. And the guy who was with him, the young man who was with him, was like, we're going to die, running around in circles, waving his hands. And, and Elijah prays and asks God, show him. And his eyes were opened and he saw the angels, the, the host of heaven. And then he wasn't scared anymore, right? But could the host of heaven do anything about your sin? There's no salvation from a, by angels. They may save you from the Romans. They may save you from... I can't remember who it was that was attacking Elijah. They could save you from any political enemy. But the Messiah had to come to save God's people from their sins. And the Jews heard that he was going to save them from their political enemies. That's selective hearing. Do you see that? It twists the message around. It perverts the message so that you don't end up getting the actual word of God. What they end up hearing is that the Christ is to remain forever. Is that true? Yes, it's absolutely true. The Christ is to remain forever. From Psalm 89, verses 35 through 37, Once I have sworn in my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. Selah. What does that say? It says the Messiah will remain. The Christ is to remain forever. It's the happy part. It's the joyful part. It's the part about victory. It's the part about success. Right? And yet, what else does the Old Testament teach about the Christ that the Jews had missed, that Peter had missed? And not just that Peter had missed and that the Jews had missed, but that both ended up actively denying to Jesus Christ. They rejected the Old Testament message that the Christ had to be lifted up and die. And it's in the same places. I just got done reading Psalm 89, verses 35 through 37. Here's Psalm 89, verses 50 and 51. Remember, O Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. What is that talking about? 
Well, David is talking about his own uh, reproach. The, the psalmist is speaking of the, um, the suffering that he had undergone from other people. But of course, <clears throat> when, when it speaks of the throne of David, the Jews don't miss the fact that it's looking forward to the Messiah. So why is it that when it speaks of the suffering of David, they miss the fact that it's also pointing forward to the anointed? It's because they don't want to hear that. It's because that's too negative. Right? And so what is the negative part? Though the happy part was the part about victory, joy, success. That's the part we want to hear. And then you've got the, the sad part, the negative And that is that few will believe or that God actively blinds and hardens the hearts of people so that they will not, so that they may not believe and be saved and healed by him. That's the part that we don't want to hear. That's the part that you glazed over. You forgot already that that was in our text this morning, didn't you? Did you notice that? And if you didn't forget already, it's because you're, you're still mad about it. Because it jumped out at it and you're like, hey, no, 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 that can't be. Verse 40. Quoting Isaiah, in other words, the Jews knew this too, right? He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. God blinded them. God hardened them. This is definitely bad news isn't it? And it's worth noting that that particular negative, that particular part that the Jews had forgotten, ignored, skipped over, not wanted to hear, been selective in not hearing, right? That negative part is still to this day the negative part, isn't it? The part that we don't want to hear. We like Easter, but not Good Friday. Easter is the resurrection, but Good Friday is the, he was raised up. The Jews are just like us. They don't want the, the, the being raised up part of up on the cross. They want the being raised up part of raised from the grave. We like the house of joy not the house of mourning, right? And yet, what does Scripture say? Scripture says that it is better to be in the house of mourning. Why is it better to be in the house of mourning? Well, I I would say to you that one of the reasons is so that you can't be selective in your hearing. You will not miss in the house of mourning the opportunity to rejoice and to laugh. 
You're not going to selectively miss that, are you? When you're in the house of mourning and somebody tells the story about the time that the guy who just died was riding on his bike and flew off and smacked into so-and-so and the cake fell on them and everybody laughs and it's a relief, right? You don't, you don't selectively miss the times of joy. Well, maybe some of you do. But generally, our selection is the selection of we're going to hear the positive and not the negative. Why is it that we do that? What's our goal? Our goal is to have our ears tickled. And so if you're the kind of, if you're the rare individual that selectively only hears the bad and not the good, it still holds true that your goal is the same, that you're just intentionally hearing only what you want to hear, the thing that tickles your ears, just happens to be all the negative things. But for most of us, it's all the positive things that tickle our ears. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 warns us about this. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's the goal. Now notice what it says. It brings in teachers immediately, doesn't it? When you want to have your ears tickled, then you end up choosing the teachers that will speak the things that you want to hear. Remember, speaking and hearing really can't be separated. Here's another way that it can't be separated. And so what do we see? Well, we see that the leaders are directly engaged in, the speakers, the preachers, are directly connected to this. That one of the ways that you can be selective in your hearing is by choosing not just to ignore the negative parts in the Old Testament, not just to ignore the part where it says that the Son of Man will be lifted up, right? But choosing teachers that just never get around to saying that part. In other words, selective hearing leads to selective speaking. The connection between hearing and speaking is unavoidable. And what do we see in our passage with the leaders? Well, you've got this little note at the end. It says, nevertheless, many even of the rulers, in verse 42, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. 
for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. What does not confessing him mean? What does it mean to when it says they weren't confessing him? What it's saying is that they would not publicly acknowledge that they were his disciples. They would not say, I am a Christian. I follow Jesus. The word Christian didn't exist at that time, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, that's what we need to hear. You know, are you willing to acknowledge, to claim that title for yourself? <clears throat> the leaders at this time, the rulers, even the ones who believed, weren't willing to acknowledge, weren't willing to make that claim for themselves, to confess Christ, to say Jesus is Lord. He's the Messiah, the one who was sent to save. They believe, but they won't confess. One of the things I want you to think about confessing to confess Jesus. In, in, in this passage, it becomes clear what confessing Jesus really means. That it's broader than what we have typically made it. This is the, the confession of Jesus that you get from many, whether you're talking to men in jail or whether you're talking to somebody at Starbucks, all right, you get the confession that Jesus saves, that Jesus is our hope, Jesus is the one who can save us from our sins. And yet, confessing Jesus means confessing all of Jesus. Right? If you've ever heard of the old, uh, oh, who uses that, the having Jesus, two different Jesuses, you can, have, you can have the one and not the other. I think it's Campus Crusade that does this a lot, that has the uh, Jesus as Lord comes after Jesus as what? Savior. Well, can Jesus be your Savior without being your Lord? Is it possible to confess Jesus as Savior without confessing Jesus as Lord? Jesus can't be split apart like this, right? You cannot have this kind of selective speaking, this kind of selective hearing without losing the entirety of the message. That's what I want you to come away with today. You lose Easter if you don't have Good Friday. Do you see that? Without Jesus being raised up on the cross, he cannot be raised up from the death. Because he was never dead. And so the consequences of our selective hearing are huge. The Jews say to Jesus, how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? 
And Jesus' response is interesting, it's telling, it's helpful to us. Rather than call them, or rather than explain it to him, to them, having problems, can't get my words straight. Rather than explain it to them, you know, he could, go, he could have gone and he could have read to them uh, Psalm, Psalm 89, right? <clears throat> he could have read to them all kinds of quotes, not just from the Psalms, but from Isaiah, from Jeremiah. He could have gone and uh, read to them the very first promise of God that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and yet in that very promise, what did I just skip? That the serpent would crush his heel. You see that? It's everywhere. And our selective hearing is well-tuned. Easy, it's easy, easy, easy to be selective. Jesus could have explained it, and yet he doesn't. Instead, he calls them to believe before it is too late. Isn't that interesting? In other words, when they reject that Old Testament negative, that the Messiah, the Christ, must be raised up, that he must suffer many things. When they don't have that, they do not believe. That's why he turns and calls them to actually believe. Well, it's clear in the context that, you know, this crowd isn't believing. The text makes that abundantly clear, right? When it says, but though he had, verse 37, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. And that comes right after his answer. And his answer is, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. And this is where our selective hearing engages. Should I keep going? Are you going to hear it? So that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. The refusal to hear the bad along with the good means not actually receiving the good. You simply cannot have Jesus being the Messiah who reigns forever unless and until he first suffers. And that's what the Jews were rejecting. They wanted it to only be this other part that they liked. And so they ended up rejecting Jesus, not believing in him. Until he is lifted up. If, verse 32, 
if he is lifted up, he will accomplish salvation. That's what it means. Draw all men to myself. If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Which means if he is not, he will not. Right? As I've been showing the selective hearing of the Jews, I've kept reiterating the fact that we also have selective hearing today. What I want you to see is that our selective hearing today still revolves around wanting to hear the good things, not the bad. That's the primary way that people are selective in their hearing. We want to hear about forgiveness, but not hear the rebuke of our sins. We want to hear about justification, but we don't want to hear about the necessity of sanctification, about growing more holy, right? And so, CCM is a great example of exactly what we want. Positive and uplifting thoughts for your morning, afternoon, evening, or night. Right? Isn't that K-love? What, do they, what, is their, what does it actually say? What is it? Positive. Positive and encouraging. I didn't go and look, at it, look it up. It's even better. It's not positive and uplifting. It's positive and encouraging. There, there is, it's almost universal that we want positive and encouraging. Even people who are stuck on the negative want positive and encouraging, don't they? Because they're stuck on the negative in an untrue sort of way, in the negative, in a, in a false negative. When you're, when, you're, when, when you're a depressed personality, it's not because you're convicted of your sin although you may, you may feel deep conviction, if you're a depressed personality, it's not because you've heard the truth, the negative truth, and believed it, the sad reality of sin. It's because you've believed a lie that there is no hope. It's because you've, you've fallen prey to a way of thinking that is just as untrue as the absurdity of contemporary Christian music. It's untrue and it's a different lie, right? That everything is miserable and, and there's no hope. And then CCM is, you know, the, the idiot's guide to pretending like everything isn't miserable and there's nothing wrong. But why does CCM exist? It's because of demand, supply and demand, right? (laughs) This is what we want. We want positive and encouraging. We want uplifting and joyful. But why does CCM always feel so trite? Why does it lack any power to actually uplift? 
why does it only manage to distract from your depression, from the cares, and typically only for a short time? It's because of selective hearing. We have chosen what will play on the radio. And you know what else we've chosen? Because you don't actually believe me when I say that we have chosen what will play on the radio. You're like, I didn't have any say in it. You know what else you choose? You choose what you're going to share on Facebook. Don't you? And so I challenge you to honestly answer the question, why do you like John Piper? The leaders that we choose, we choose for a reason, right? There may be all kinds of good reasons why you could say you like Desiring God Ministries or Piper. I could fill in the blank with several other examples, but I think he's the best for this morning. If it's actually because he's winsome, which is a different way of saying he always manages to make the bad news sound good. Then there's a problem. Because what you're doing is you're selectively hearing. You're selectively hearing even from John Piper. If the reason you like to share that on Facebook is because you know that it's not going to be offensive to your friends and that they're only going to hear the the joy of obedience and never be confronted with the fear of judgment, it's time for you to read somebody else. Try John Owen. Or, if you're that committed to Piper, read Jonathan Edwards, his hero. He'll never object, believe me. He'd love it if you read Edwards. Don't be selective in your hearing. Not in that way. Because if you are, you will be selective in your speaking. You will be selective in what you're willing to say on Facebook. You'll be selective in what you're willing to admit about what you're willing to confess of Jesus Christ. What parts of Jesus Christ are acceptable at the workplace? What parts of Jesus Christ are acceptable in your law office? What parts of Jesus Christ are acceptable? Which part of the message of hope? It's it's one message of hope, you guys. Remember when we're told to be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us? How will you give an account? Will your account be selective? Will it be like, 
Well, I can't help but, but be joyful. I can't help but be happy. I can't help but have hope. Because joy and love and hope and peace. And, and just, doesn't that just make you happy? Is that the message? Is that giving an account for the hope that is within you? No, because it doesn't address the reason that the person who's asking you doesn't have hope. Why do we why are we selective in what we speak? Well, we're selective in what we speak for similar reasons to why we're selective in what we hear. But if you look at the leaders, it becomes a little bit more clear. Those rulers, remember? What did it say? They loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God, and they were afraid. And so we don't say these things because we're afraid that people will persecute us. We're afraid that they won't like what we've said and that they'll attack us. They'll send sharp barbs our way on Facebook with a little angry face emoticon. That scare you? No, it doesn't scare you. It shouldn't scare you. What scares you is that they will hate you. But that shouldn't scare you any more than that little angry face. Fear God, not man. What else are we afraid of? Well, we're afraid that few will believe. And so we want to share something that more people will be willing to accept because, you know, the more, you know, 32 thumbs-ups are like way better than one angry face and two thumbs-ups. Facebook is such a helpful metaphor for life, isn't it? If you guys stop using Facebook, I'll stop talking about it. How's that? Is that a deal? <laughs> but otherwise, I'm going to continue to treat it as though it's your life. If, if you continue to act as though it's your life. I mean, everything gets boiled down to so simple. It's like... He said he didn't like me anymore. What are you, third grade girl? Who cares? He passed me a note on Facebook. They're afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. What are you afraid of? Well, I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. 
I'm afraid of getting kicked out of the cool kids club too. The rulers that believed were still scared. They were still afraid of people. We're still afraid of people today, aren't we? And leaders are especially afraid of getting kicked out of those cool kid clubs. And the interesting thing is that those who are the most judgmental always use a religious covering for their attack getting kicked out of the synagogue. Now, what did John do in our passage when he was writing Holy Scripture under the inspiration of God by the Holy Spirit? He quoted Isaiah. He picked a little bit of Isaiah, didn't he? And what little bit of Isaiah did he quote? Just a couple of sentences. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he has blinded their hearts and he hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. Now, can you imagine the attacks that you'd receive if you quoted just that part? of Isaiah today, especially if you were a pastor or a ruler or a leader of some sort. In the context of explaining why people didn't believe, even. Where would, that, where would those attacks come from? Well, they would come from those who are conservative and have good theological training. That's where the attacks would come from. And they would say that you've taken the verse out of context. That's the first thing they'd say. That you have divorced it from the, the, you've divorced the good news from the bad news and kept only the bad part. And what's the matter with you anyway? What's the matter with John? They'd say, well, even if it's technically true, and obviously you're quoting the Bible, so it is technically true, you've made it into a lie by not mentioning all the verses of hope that are in Isaiah. You've made it seem like God's word is just all all negative, John. Is John being selective in his speech? He is. He's being selective, isn't he? (laughs) He's being selective in the way that it's better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting. He's being selective in that he's choosing to say the hard things. So who do you quote? Do you quote all the people who are winsome? All the people who you think manage to get the same point across without actually offending? They don't get the same point across. 
John cannot get this point across if he just strikes these little quotes from Isaiah. It's not the same point anymore, right? The consequence of this type of, this type of selective that we're tempted to be, right? This kind of selective hearing and then followed by the quite natural selective speaking, right? The consequence is to silence old men. You have the ability to silence me. I shouldn't be silenced, but I'm afraid of man. The rulers of the Jews that believed were silenced. They refused to confess Christ. Why? Two reasons. One that's given is they were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue by other leaders, right? Cool kids club. That's the top, that's the top to the side or top down pressure. And also... They loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And what would happen if you got kicked out of the synagogue? You would lose all of your influence. You wouldn't have the opportunity to affect change amongst the people, to, to be a, a secret witness for the fact that, that... What? Well, you can't confess Christ, so what are you going to do in there? In other words... Getting kicked out of the synagogue represents not just being disconnected from the other leaders. It represents being disconnected from the rest of the people, too. Does that make sense? And so, when we, as a people, are selective in hearing and then selective in speaking... If we, don't have any, if we don't have any encouragement for the boldness, if we, don't have any, uh, if we don't have any support for those who are willing to quote Isaiah and just the bad part of Isaiah to explain what's going on today, then men who believe and who are to be speaking will be very strongly tempted to be silent because we know what you want to hear. And I know what, you, I know what we always think. We always want to say that the... That, that, we're waiting for somebody to say it the right way. To say the whole message, but in the right way. That winsome way. Right? There's got to be a song about that. Somebody needs to write it if there isn't. That winsome way. To make a good Babylon B title. We're just waiting to, you know, we want the whole message to get across, but 
but only in a, in a way that is less likely to, to cause a stumbling block to be placed in front of somebody. Whenever we, whenever we think we've found something like that, and you share it, you're going to find one of two things is true. Either you were wrong, it included more of the negative than you thought, <laughs> and people are still angry. Or it didn't include the message itself. It didn't get the whole message, and so therefore the message was lost. Because when we state only the positive part and leave the negative to implication, or we leave the negative to a a carefully circumscribed, very narrow little area, so that nobody feels the weight of the threat of walking in darkness, of the threat of being blinded, of being cut off from God, of not being healed, of not knowing where they're going. All of these things are the things that are in our passage, right? Then what part of the message is left? Well, I've got hope because joy. Well, I've got hope because Jesus, yay. Jesus plus yay equals hope. Am I being too sarcastic for you? Jesus plus yay doesn't equal anything, you people. Why did Isaiah talk the way he talked? Why did John quote Isaiah talking the way he talked? Verse 41 tells us, because he saw God's glory, and he spoke of God. The moment you begin to fear God instead of man, you'll see the glory of God and you'll speak of God, and then you'll talk that way. And you won't be afraid of what the response is going to be. And you won't care if all of the other rulers think you're an nincompoop, or if all of the people are going to stone you, or if Peter himself is going to say, may it never be, Lord. These things shall not happen to you. Once you've seen God as he really is, your words become direct. Your words become bold. They will be loving. They'll be filled with hope. And you'll be able to explain what your hope actually is. Let's pray.